Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Oh My Allergies podcast. This is your hostess with the mostest, Valencia. And if you are new here, the Oh My Allergies podcast is a podcast about all things allergies. Whether you have food allergies, seasonal allergies, skin allergies, or even your pet has allergies, Oh My Allergies is a safe space for discussions for those that need a bit of advice and support from someone who understands their struggle. Let's learn how to navigate life and learn how to thrive with our allergies together. Welcome to or welcome back to the Oh My Allergies podcast. If you're new, I'm Valencia. Really nice to meet you. And if you are not subscribed to the podcast, make sure you're subscribed on your podcast platform of choice. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, pretty much any platform you can listen to podcasts on. So definitely do that so you don't miss out on any of the good content. Oh My Allergies is also even available on Amazon and Audible. So that's like a little fun fact for you. Make sure you give us a follow on Instagram. Our Instagram page is at Oh My Allergies. My Instagram is at Oh My Valencia just to keep up with what I'm doing personally and also follow our podcast page. Like I said, it's at Oh My Allergies to get updates on the podcast, on future episodes, future guests, future topics for different polls, different glimpses into the behind the scenes of the production of the podcast, just so many little nibbits and sneak peeks and tips about how to manage your allergies and just live a happy and healthier life with your allergies. Make sure that you stop, drop, roll, and rate the podcast. Hopefully your rating is five stars and also leave the show a review because it really just helps with growing our community and being able to reach new ears and reach new people and keep on sharing the podcast with people you know and don't know. Now today's episode is about another term that is really just commonly found on products like food, beauty products, skin products, etc. And it's the statement may contain. I did an episode all about the statement hypoallergenic and it surprisingly did well and I say surprisingly because I didn't realize how many people actually wanted to learn about the true meaning behind the statement. So I thought that I would do a dive into may contain because it can be found on so many different products and to be honest the whole statement is kind of confusing especially if you're new to the world of allergies you're like what does may contain even mean like what is the whole story behind it so that is what today's episode is going to be about but before we get into today's topic you guys know I got to talk about what's been going on So what's been going on with me? Well, I have been watching a ton of softball. And when I say a ton, I mean a ton of softball. Like this past weekend was the Super Regionals for Division One softball, which is the stepping stone to the Women's College World Series. So a lot of teams were competing this weekend for the best two out of three. And I'm really happy that my Texas Longhorns are headed to the Women's College World Series. I am so excited for them. I'm sad that Georgia, so UGA, and Georgia Tech did not make it out of the regular regionals. I was also really rooting for Duke and they made it to the super regionals, but they lost to UCLA twice, which really sucked because I really was rooting for them. Um, But I personally want Texas to like win all the way because I'm a big fan of like a lot of the players and their program and their grit as a team. Um, But I also don't want like UCLA or like the Oklahoma Sooners to win the whole thing either. You know, I just find those 
teams highly annoying. My unpopular opinion is that the Sooners rely too much on their offense and don't really have a defense most of the time. And their defense just relies on the other teams' offense to make mistakes. And they really just capitalize on those mistakes. And I said what I said and I meant it really because that's just very frustrating because people are like oh my goodness the Sooners are this oh my goodness the Sooners are that but like when you watch a lot of their games and you're watching a lot of softball you tend to kind of see a lot of patterns and yes there is no question their offense is amazing they are good hitters you can't take that away from them but I really feel like that they capitalize on a lot of other teams' mistakes which kind of makes their defense look like they're doing a lot of things when sometimes it's just other teams making mistakes. But that's just my opinion. But just been watching softball. It's been taking up a lot of my nights. These games have been coming on like really late and going like well into the night. Like one game was at I think like 11 and it went till like 1 or 2 a.m. So these games have been keeping me up at night and it's not really been good for my sleep. But I have been really just loving softball lately and watching it. And it's really so cool to see the sport really growing and how like some of the games for the Women's College World Series for that bracket is going to be like on ABC, which is really good for the sport. So just really been loving that and also just been digesting a lot of you know the recent news that's been coming out about you know the ongoing pandemic keyword ongoing pandemic um monkeypox and all of the different mass shootings and with ukraine and just all of the things and there's just really just a lot going on in the world right now and it's just very unfortunate that a lot of people out there are just not trying to help make these things in situations right and better but rather are approaching these situations with greed blinding them rather than putting citizens and their well-beings first but that's pretty much what's been going on with me oh also one of the more important things um happy memorial weekend i hope you all enjoyed your long weekend i know that i did being able to relax being able to watch softball being able to you know spend time with my dog and my family and really being able to kind of slow down um and really be able to you know take that me time is something that i think is like really important especially now you know with the pandemic and everything and mental health and things like that like being on the rise so definitely take that time for yourself and take this weekend to really be able to honor those who serve our country in order to preserve our country and protect our country um i think that's really important to remember throughout this weekend too because that is the whole core of the weekend and of the holiday but with that being said, now that I talk about what's been going on with me, let's get right into my foodie likes. So one of my foodie likes that I've really been liking a lot lately has been from the brand 365 Whole Foods Market because you guys know I'm a Whole Foods gal. Um, but I really have been liking their lemon pepper tofu bites really been liking putting it in like a stir fry with like vegetables or with like my tofu noodles and having that as a protein sometimes I'll mix that and mix that with shrimp as well just to kind of have a difference in protein situations um, but really have been liking them I really like the flavor like once upon a time when I ate chicken I was a really big lemon pepper wings fan so this kind of brings me back to those times when I used to really like lemon pepper 
anything that had to do with chicken and it tastes really good has a really good flavor i really like that it's not like too salty either and that you really don't have to add anything to it unless you want to um but usually i don't i just usually just like put it on the stove top and like fry it just because i don't really like it when it's just like regular and like cold because the really cool thing about this is that you can serve it in a lot of different ways like you can saute it or stir fry it you can put it in the microwave you can serve it cold because it's cooked so there's a lot of different ways that you can use this tofu which i like i don't like that you don't get that much tofu but i do like the flavor of it and i do recommend it another one of my foodie likes comes from the brand i think it's one degree organic foods and it's their sprouted quinoa cacao granola i think i pronounced that correctly and you guys know i'm a sucker for dark chocolate and this allows me to be able to have that in the form of granola usually for me i'm not usually a big fan of granola because i usually don't get filled up after having it and it doesn't really taste that great in terms of there's a lot of like sweetness to it that i don't really like and so i feel like with this it's like a perfect balance of being able to kind of taste the sugar but also getting the bitterness from the chocolate which i really do like um in the granola mix it's a mixture of oats there's also brown rice in it and there's also quinoa in it which i really like and i feel like it adds to it being um, a lot more filling than traditional granola and i really like the fact that it is organic it's non-gmo verified it's certified vegan it's gluten-free for all my gluten-free people out there so definitely recommend trying it especially if you are a big fan of chocolate i also like the fact that it doesn't have a lot of uh, calories and carbs in it if that's something that you're a little bit more conscious of especially when it comes to like sugar there's not a lot of sugar in it per serving as well which is something that really drew my eye to it and it's really just a good breakfast option or even a snack option to have usually I will pair this with a dairy-free milk um, or you can just have it as like a snack and put it like in a little baggie and eat it like that but highly recommend trying it because it is so good for all my chocolate fans and quinoa lovers out there but those are my two foodie likes that I want to share with you guys this week so with that being said let's get right into the allergy news <music> So this week's article comes from the Daily Mail and it's titled Graduate 23 Died After Two Bites of Pizza Ordered on Deliveroo. And so this article is based um, in the UK. Obviously, the Daily Mail is based in the UK, um, but the story is based in the UK as well. I know that some stories that are covered aren't and some stories that are aren't. So I just want to say that because there's going to be some things that are mentioned in the article that I know when I first read it, I was like, what is this? And then had to realize that it took based in the UK so I might not be as familiar with a lot of things so for the people who are from the UK you might be familiar with some of the terms and things that are talked about in today's allergy news segment so today's allergy news article talks about how there was a guy he's allergic to peanuts and he collapsed and died after eating just two bites of pizza ordered via Deliveroo and so the person began suffering a severe allergic reaction shortly after eating a chicken tikka masala pizza from a pizza place in Newcastle and so shortly after eating a few bites of one slice of the pizza his lips and his throat swelled up he called 999 and then the paramedics came and arrived 
arrived by 8.16. They gave him two shots of adrenaline in his leg, but he felt unconscious and went to cardiac arrest, was taken into an infirmary, and then was pronounced that he was gone. Just all of this happened just over an hour after eating the pizza. The guy had said that, um, well, not the guy. I mean, his parents had said that he knew that he was allergic to peanuts since he was a teenager and was always really careful when it came to like checking ingredients, labels and things like that. Even though he had gone to this restaurant before and ordered food from it before, he was unaware that the restaurant allegedly had started using peanut powder within the ingredients for making the pizza. And so now his parents want to figure out if there are any lessons to be learned at a three-day inquest opening at Newcastle Coroner's Court, which would have marked his 26th birthday, the dude, the day that all of this is happening. And so the inquest comes nearly two years after the guy suffered anaphylactic shock after ordering a pizza to share with his housemates. And specifically, they're really hoping questions will be raised over the effectiveness of allergen information provided by a Deliveroo. And they argue that like these types of details really need to be made a lot more clear with maybe implementing an allergy tick box on the order form so that allergen information is being put at the forefront when you're even doing the ordering process for your food at this place. Um, and his mother also said that what everybody needs is a clear full list of ingredients on every item on a takeaway menu, which is known as takeout in the UK wasn't really familiar with that term until this article I was like takeaway like what does that mean but I guess that makes more sense than takeout anyway I digress and also having a sticker on the takeaway box that's saying that there's allergens or there might not be allergens in it but just having that kind of transparency because they said that they'll never know if something like that being implemented within their ordering system and takeaway system if it could have saved their son. But it's something that I personally agree should happen, whether it's in the UK or just all over, you know, in North America and all these other different countries, because I think having that transparency and having different labels on things so people know that, okay, this has this in it or that your order could possibly contain these allergens or that you communicated with the restaurant that you're ordering from and it has a label saying that, it's allergen free of this, 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 and it was cooked, you know, separately from this, this, and this, just to have that level of transparency and that peace of mind, because you go to a restaurant and if you communicate your needs and things like that, then it's up to the restaurant to make sure that they're able to uphold um, them saying that they are allergen friendly or able to cater to the needs of people who have allergies. Um, also, one thing that I feel like people should learn from this allergy news article is the fact that just because you've gone to a restaurant time and time again and you're very familiar with it, you might even be a regular to that restaurant. It doesn't mean that just because it was safe for you to eat one time that it's going to be safe for you to eat the next time. And so really making sure that you're asking those questions each time that you go just to make sure because there's a lot of cases where where it comes to packaged foods and even restaurants that they don't tell you if something has changed or if they've implemented a new ingredient into their food or taken something out and replaced it with something else that you could possibly be allergic to. So it's really good just to ask those questions and be mindful of that going into a restaurant, even if you've been there 20 times or if this is your first time going. But 
that is this week's allergy news article. As always, it'll always be linked in our show notes so that you can take a deeper dive and look at the article in its full entirety. Highly suggest you all do that and check out our show notes for not only our allergy news article, but also for additional resources on a lot of the different topics that are discussed in each episode um, of the podcast. But with that being said, let's get right into today's topic, which is all about may contain and what does that actually mean? Like I say in these types of episodes, I'm not a doctor, um, I'm not a medical professional, nor do I claim to be either of those things. These are just things that I know from personal experience and research that I've done and I encourage you all to do research on your own as well. Have you guys ever had it where you go to the grocery store and you see a product that really just interests you so you go to pick it up and let's say it looks like it's dairy free heck it may even say that it's vegan but then you turn it over and then you see a statement that says something like may contains milk yeah me too and it's really really super confusing you know when I first entered the food allergy world or just even the allergy world I was like why is there a statement like that on this product but it's dairy free you know the math was not mathing so I thought that I would just talk about what in the world are may contain statements what do they mean if they matter or not and what it could possibly mean for you or you and your family so I know we got a pretty good response on the episode about what hypoallergenic means so I thought hey why not do one on may contain as well so if you're like Valencia I didn't even know companies put statements on their products. I'm like super confused. I got you. I got you. I'll explain. So typically those who have an allergy, especially a food allergy, tend to be educated and made aware of the responsibilities of managing allergies, food allergies, and the proper equipment and the knowledge you need to obtain to maintain and manage your allergies safely. But us consumers aren't the only ones that have that responsibility for managing our allergies and food allergies. The law, companies, and food producers also have a role to play in everything. And so the Food Allergen Labeling and Consumer Protection Act, which is short for F-A-L-P-C-A, that's the acronym for it, is a Food and Drug Administration mandate that all food must be labeled if it contains one of the eight major food allergens. Manufacturers are also advised to have conscientious manufacturing practices in place to help with avoiding cross-contact between allergens and cross-contamination. And these practices can include, you know, like using different lines for products with and without a common allergen, sanitizing equipment between products, and also requiring hand washing and glove wearing of all employees. And in addition to that, incorporating these manufacturing practices, some food companies will also choose to include precautionary labeling on their products to warn consumers of possible cross-contact and contamination, which is where the famous main contain statement enters the chat. So main contain statements are a manufacturer's warning that the product might have been somewhere within the vicinity of another product that has the allergen noted at some point during the production process. And what's really interesting is that products with these types of labels usually don't have the identified allergen in their original recipe or their ingredient list. And this statement doesn't actually mean that the company is stating that there's any of the allergens in the actual product and may contain statements. They can show up 
in a variety of products. You know, I've seen it on food products. I've seen it on skincare products. I've seen it on beauty and makeup products. Honestly, the list could go on. And I know you're probably like, okay, I kind of better understand may contain statements and like what they actually are. But I don't get why they're on products in the first place. So there are actually a few different reasons as to why a company will put a may contain statement on their product. So one, the brand wants to use one ingredient list for a variety of different of their products, even if it's not all um, all of them don't contain the ingredients. So this is the most common reason for the may contain ingredient list to um, appear on products, especially like beauty products, instead of printing new labels or new packaging for each individual you know, product, um, if it's a part of a collection, um, for the sake of a beauty product, like maybe like an individual shade of something, it's easier for many brands to list the ingredients that all the shades in the case of a beauty product include, and then under may contain list individual ingredients that only some shades include. Um, another reason is that the product is made on or could have been made on shared equipment with other products that do contain these ingredients. So products with these labels typically do not have the identified allergen in their original recipe or ingredients list. And this statement doesn't mean, like I said, that the company is stating that there's any of the allergen in the actual product. Um, but it's usually a caution that there is some degree of risk of some level of cross-contact, cross-contamination during processing. And this can happen if the same machine is used, for example, to make both peanut butter cookies and shortbread cookies. So the shortbread cookies might have a label saying may contain peanuts, even though there's not any peanuts or peanut products that have been used to make the actual cookie. Now, the FDA does not mandate that all companies use this type of labeling. Instead, it rather emphasizes the importance of sound manufacturing practices like cleaning machines, sanitizing machines when handling food allergens and really stresses that using those types of precautionary labels should not serve as a replacement for following those types of sound manufacturing practices. So in an ideal world, a company should not be like, oh, you know, we're going to be a little bit more flagrant when it comes to our manufacturing process and have that cross contact and cross contamination happen because they're just being lax with it. And then they're like, OK, because of that, we're going to put that labeling on. It's like, no, you should put the labeling on there, but then also make sure that you're following and emphasizing the importance of sound manufacturing processes. And that label should be more so for the consumer rather than trying to have that be a scapegoat for being a little bit more lax in manufacturing processes. And if you're not familiar with like cross contact and short cross contact is when one food comes into contact with another food and their proteins mix. So now each food then contains small amounts of the other food. And a lot of people get cross contact and cross contamination mixed up, but they are not the same with cross contact although these amounts are so small that they usually can't be seen with the naked eye, even that tiny amount of food protein can cause allergic reactions in people with food allergies. And then the other reason is that the brand is changing the formula of the product and they want to be prepared for mixed batches of the old formula and the new formula to be on the market. So this is something that is kind of rare as a lot of brands don't usually 
reformulate their products on a regular basis, but a company could be in the middle of reformulating a product and they're in the process of sending out both batches into stores. And so not all brands package products until they are being shipped out. So these labels are really like an easier way for them to make sure that all potential ingredients that could be used in the products are listed. And so with that being said, may contain statements they can come in different forms on products you would think oh may contain statements you're just going to probably just see may contain that's easy to remember when looking at products no 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 this is kind of where the confusion starts to be a little bit more confusing so you may see it look like the typical one stating may contain like I said or you may see made on shared equipment with dot 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 or you might see produced in the same facility as you might see may contain traces of or you may even see manufactured in the same facility as products containing x y and z and honestly the list just goes on and the whole intent behind precautionary labeling is good in my opinion but like I said, it's confusing. As I said, the list of examples of may contain statements could go on since there's not any current regulatory guidance on writing these precautionary statements, nor are there definitions for what they mean. So this can cause us as consumers to not always be clear about what a label means or how risky the product is if the person has a food allergy or a skin allergy, etc. Now, when I was looking up may contain statements for a variety of brands that I've come across in the grocery store, I came across one that I thought was pretty thorough and wanted to share it here on the podcast. So I don't know if you guys are familiar, but there's a brand it's called RX Bar. They have on their website under product information, they have like a FAQ surrounding what may contain means for their products. And here's what it said. We have updated our packaging allergen statement from manufactured in a facility that also processes eggs, peanuts, tree nuts, milk, soy, wheat, fish, and crustaceans to may contain eggs, peanuts, tree nuts, milk, soy, wheat, fish, and crustaceans. Our allergen and cross-contamination procedures between production runs have not changed. We are continuing to clean our equipment using FDA standardized sanitation guidelines. Therefore, there is no difference in the likelihood that an allergen outside of those stated in the ingredients is present. The ingredients we use in our products are inherently gluten-free. However, they are made in a facility that also produces wheat-containing products. In order to label a product as gluten-free, the FDA requires that there are no more than 20 parts per million of gluten is present. We take quality control very seriously and strive to remove allergens from the line to avoid cross-contamination. We clean our equipment using validated sanitation methods between production runs. If an allergen is present, it will be listed as part of the contained statement on the food label. Those who have gluten allergies or strong reactions to any presence to gluten should always consult a health professional before consuming our products. And I saw this online. And I was like, I really appreciate this level of transparency from a brand regarding their may contain statement and what it means on their products. You know, I don't like that it's not super easy to find. You kind of like have to like really look and like search for it. I personally think a may contain statement should be at least in the footer of an organization's website. That way it's always there. Customers don't have to search for it on like the 20th page of a website. And also what sucks is that another company could have a different meaning and explanation behind their statement, which again, 
goes back to how confusing and very frustrating may contain statements really are. And what sucks even more is that since this kind of labeling, like I said before, is not mandatory, some products may have come in contact with a major allergen, but do not carry the warning, putting consumers and us allergy people unknowingly at risk. Also, companies, they can choose to remove the precautionary label at any point in time, even when the product's formula hasn't changed, which is very frustrating because a lot of people rely on those statements. And so if they're not there and that company might not have that level of transparency, you like don't even know. And that adds yet another level to this confusion, especially for stressed allergy individuals and parents and those who are newly diagnosed with a food allergy because the language in precautionary labeling is inconsistent, you know, with producers and companies using phrases such as may contain, manufactured in a facility that uses, or processed in a facility that uses. And while these phrases are all ultimately serving the same purpose, they could be interpreted in different ways. And so after doing research on this topic, I had some questions and wanted to talk through my thoughts on each of the questions. I would love to hear what you all's thoughts are on my questions on our Instagram page, which is at oh my allergy. So make sure you give us a follow on there. And my Instagram is at oh my Valencia. So the first question is, why are may contain statements not required slash why doesn't the FDA regulate the statements at least? Based off of research that I've done and kind of my own interpretation of may contain statements and information that I've seen online and through research articles and stuff, I think it's because it's a gray area within minutes of eating a food that someone is allergic to. Some could go into anaphylactic shock and then some may not. And there isn't a fixed quantity of an allergen that will cause a reaction. I think that's kind of where the gray area comes from. Like with my first anaphylactic reaction to macadamia nuts, I had a reaction to just eating three of them in their rawest and truest form. But then I had a little granola bar with macadamia nuts in them, not knowing that they were in there. If you listen to my nut allergy story, then you know what I'm talking about. Definitely have an episode on that. So go listen to that if you want to learn more about how I found out I was allergic to macadamia nuts. Um, But macadamia nuts wasn't like the first ingredient on the ingredients list for that bar. But I still had a reaction to them. It was a different reaction from the first allergic reaction that I had to them, but it was still a reaction. And so each person has their own allergy threshold and that threshold can even change over time. And so this makes establishing a fair and safe testing level kind of difficult. However, I will say I do believe that the FDA needs to create more stricter guidelines around allergen labeling as a whole and providing that guidance and that accountability to companies to do better and be better. So another question that kind of posed into my mind is, does the wording of a may contain statement indicate the level of risk? And I think this is something that is a big misconception that people have, including myself. You may come across a label that says made on the same equipment as XYZ allergen, or it may contain traces of XYZ allergen, which sounds like a higher risk than a statement that reads made in the same facility as XYZ allergen. But the wording does not correlate to the level of cross-contamination or cross-contact risk. And like I said before, these statements are completely unregulated and have no formal definitions. Therefore, 
companies can choose to add these labels, choose not to add these labels, and they can choose to word them however they want. For example, if a company, let's say they might state produced in a facility that handles milk on the label, that doesn't really sound risky, right? However, that statement doesn't mean that milk containing products aren't made by the same workers on a line right next to the product you're considering or even on the same equipment. That statement doesn't tell you if any type of product segregation or strict allergen protocols were followed for that product. It just essentially tells you just one tiny bit of information over nothing. It doesn't really tell you anything. And I feel like so many people are like, oh, like it says this. So like, I can't have this or, oh, it doesn't say this. Can I have this? Can I not have it? Like, what are the protocols? And meanwhile, there might be a company that labels their product with a made on the same equipment as XYZ allergen that properly rotates production runs and follows stricter allergen protocols. So I know you're probably just soaking in all this information from today's episode and you're thinking, well, if this is all the case, why do companies even use those statements on products anyway? So long story short, what I got from my research is that pretty much companies just don't want the liability of someone with a severe food allergy consuming their product without being aware of the risk and that these statements are like an extra line of defense against potential recalls or lawsuits, you know, which could occur if someone had an allergic reaction to their product. So as much as a lot of people think that these may contain statements are put on products with the consumer's best interest in mind, that may not always be the case. And it depends per company, obviously. But I think with when it comes to may contain statements, that one of the most important things to really just take away from this episode is that it really comes down to what level of risk is safe for you and you and your family. And that's really a decision that you can only make for yourself and for you and your family. Like I mentioned, you know, may contain statements are completely voluntary and they can appear on things that are deemed as being safe or things that are deemed as being unsafe. And they don't tell you what the company's cleaning and testing protocols are or them not having any. And it doesn't mean that a product is allergen friendly. You just really have to talk to the company to really figure that out, which I know I've done before. And a lot of people in the allergy community really do this to be able to bring themselves some sort of peace of mind with products because of may contain statements having kind of like this gray area. But hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode. We're able to gain a lot of information that you might not have had in your toolkit prior to listening to this episode I know I've learned so much about may contain statements and how it's kind of like this gray area and it really tends to stress a lot of people out I've seen so much on the allergy side of Instagram how people are just like oh my goodness I see a may contain statement this and I'm really anxious about it I'm feeling stressed out about it like I can't eat it But then it's like in order for you to really be able to make that decision for yourself, you just need to contact the company and really be able to get a better 
handle and sense on their allergen protocols and the rules and regulations they follow for their production environments to make sure that you kind of get that peace of mind and that you feel safe eating those foods. Because like I said before, you know, you really don't know what your allergy threshold is at times and it can change over time and how it is for one person is going to be different for another person and it really all just comes back to there's not really a one fit all approach to allergies and it's really a case by case when it comes to allergies especially when it comes to food allergies you just never really know and also another thing that I'd say to take away from this episode is that like I said before may contain statements can appear on just more than food it can appear in hair products it can appear on skin products it can appear on beauty and makeup products so you really just have to keep your eyes out on those types of statements and like I said kind of just make those judgments for yourself or for you and your family on whether or not something is worth the risk or if there even is a risk for you and your family but if you enjoyed this episode make sure that you hit the subscribe button on your podcast platform of choice like I said we're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, audible amazon pretty much on anywhere you can listen to podcast on make sure to give us a follow on instagram our instagram is at oh my allergies my instagram is at oh my valencia make sure you take the time to leave us a review and a rating on apple Podcasts store and also on spotify hopefully that rating is five stars keep on sharing the podcast with people you know and don't know and i will talk to you guys in the next episode bye guys